We're in our last session. This is it, the final home stretch. We're going to take 30 minutes to reflect on a few more points about all of these topics, and then we're going to um, head into our Q&A, and that'll be our time together. Um, this time, I am not even going to jabber on, is it gibber like a gibbon or gibber like a gibbon? I can never remember. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have us read First Peter, but I can't find First Peter at this exact moment. There it is. Okay, so let me pray for us, and then we're going to read First Peter 5. Oh, Lord, we bow again before you to thank you, to thank you, God, that you are active and that you are powerful, to thank you that you are so compassionate and you never tire of forgiving us. And you delight to have us come to you in prayer. We thank you uh, that Jesus modeled a life of prayer and he taught us to pray. And he is not just our um, model, but he is actually our savior and he's our prophet and our priest and our king, that he's the perfect Lamb of God, and that his sacrifice is sufficient to take away the sin. That we know, Lord, um, our sins are so dark, and we don't even see a glimpse of how dark our sins actually are. And um, yet Jesus came and he bore up under every temptation and was always and forever without sin. And we just thank you that we can claim his righteousness and stand in his righteousness and we can go out from this place um, clothed in his righteousness and um, at peace, women of peace, women of shalom. Uh, this is our prayer. Uh, please help us now as we look at this, uh, the last chapter in First Peter, and as we um, consider how this applies in our lives. Uh, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read First Peter 5. It's a short one. By the way, isn't it interesting, you think about reading these, but... Even the longest one I did was like three and a half minutes. Did you know that? I mean, so many times we think, oh, it would take too long, right? We're rushing to get out the door in the morning. I'm totally convicted as I'm talking to you right now um, to open the Bible and pray. But, I mean, we're talking here about minutes, and we have read an entire epistle even in the course of a women's um, conference. So that's it's a very convicting to me um, and encouraging, too. For you. So here's uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of God. It makes me think about it. Like, why did I fly here? I, who am still obviously such a mess as regards fear. And it's like, I've written to you briefly. Well, Tara, jabber, jabber, jabber. Not very brief. But still, encouraging you, this is my hope, and testifying that this is the true grace of God, right? That everything else, and, and we, we chose fear. But those of you who went through the Living the Gospel and Relationships, Bible, the Purple Study thingy, Meduzi, you know, whatever. How is this different? I mean, we could choose any topic, and we're like, we're a one-hit wonder. Aren't we a one-hit wonder? We have one song to sing, and we have one message to say, and we can talk about it topically in any topic you want. I'm going to be in Texas talking to mothers of preschoolers, and I'm going to be sitting there, you know, jabbering away. But I'm a one-hit wonder. We can talk about fear. We can talk about preschoolers. We can talk about food. We can talk about whatever topic it is. And what is our hope? Our hope is that what this Bible says is real and is true and that God is actually God and he's triune in nature and that Jesus actually truly was incarnate by the power of the Holy Spirit and that he actually lived this perfect life and died the substitutionary death and rose again from the dead. And because of him, we can put our hope and our confidence and our faith in him, whatever that topic is. I remember um, when, I was, when I was writing Peacemaking Women with Judy, I was, of course, Typical Tara. Totally distraught. I was just a mess. And I went into my pastor's office one day. I'm like, Jesus, this is so stupid. And we just keep saying the same thing over and over again. And, and I just, it's all been said by people much better than us. And why are we even doing this? And he, he's there. He's just, he's very encouraging. He's very kind. Um, but the truth is, I think this is, is a good word. If it's not, right, if it's new, if it's different, it's probably heresy. Like, what else is there to be said? We, we don't have anything else to be said. Christ is sufficient. God is perfect and holy and yet compassionate and gracious. And we say these truths, God is alive and he is active. And we say it and we apply it when we're dealing with our little, little children and our teenagers and our college, and in our marriages and in our homes and in our women's studies and our men's studies, wherever we do it. But we're a one-hit wonder. Wow, that's like the end of the session. I just got up here and blathered on about one-hit wonder. But it was all because of that one little verse that we just read. So, um, in your handouts, this is session four. God will make you strong and steadfast. And we're going to talk about this faith's fight against fear. It's right there in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. How is it that we do this? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him. My pastor taught me, of course, as I many times have been in his office, a blubbering idiot, um, that if you know the original languages, which I don't, in verses 6 and 7, the way that the actual language is, there should be the word by, B-Y. Did you know that? That it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time by casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So how is it that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? By 
casting all our anxieties. It's not actually two thoughts. It's one thought. And um, isn't it interesting, too, that it doesn't say, cast all your anxieties on your best bud. <laughs> isn't that what we usually do? Something stressful happens, and I mean, it is like speed dial seven, right? I mean, we're, we are, I don't know how iPhones do it. Call Samara. I mean, I don't know, you know, but I'm so old school. I've got to enter the world with it. But not cast all your anxiety on your roommate. Not, ooh, married people. Cast all your anxieties on your husband, but cast all your anxieties on God. I put it in your notes, just this little phrase to try to help us all remember it. Faiths fight against fear. Faiths fight against fear. It's how D. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about talking to yourself. Do you ever read any D. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Really good stuff. His Spiritual Depression is a very, very good book. Um, But he says, We take ourselves by the hand and speak to ourselves rather than listening to our emotions. We take ourselves by the hand and we speak to ourselves. How many times do we just listen to ourselves, right? We're just listening. Rather than speaking to ourselves. And by the way, Um, the more we read the Bible, the more we actually read the Bible, open it up, read it out loud, read it quietly. Of course, even better, study the Bible. Um, Get into it. Really be under the regular preaching of the Word. Be in regular Bible studies. Um, But even just the act of opening the Word of God and reading it. Do you see how, by that, we're taking ourselves by the hand and we are listening to God rather than listening to ourselves, listening to our emotions, and by the way, um, our fear, our anxiety, our worries. The verse that was on all your little pink posters and, and handouts for this event is Psalm 94, verse 19. When the cares of the heart are many, your consolations delight my soul. What does that mean? Your consolations delight my soul. Your promises, your comforts delight my soul. How? By casting all our anxieties on God. Here's my little point. I just want you to hear these three points as we close our time together. Tell God what you're worried about. Have you ever done that? Have you actually, you know, I'd say take a piece of paper and writing it, but I'm a, now I'm a very touch typist, so I, I, I really process just at, at keyboards. But however you do it, if, if it's orally or written, I encourage you to write it, type it, text it, I don't know. But write down every single worry you have. Every single concern. Everything that comes to mind. Everything that you could say at the end of that sheet of paper, or a couple hundred sheets of paper if it takes it, but at the end, Lord, if you were to take care of this, I would be okay. Have you ever done that? I kind of have to do it a lot. Um, But one time that comes very, very clearly to mind is when Fred and I were in grad school, and I had huge amounts of debt, $73,000 in debt, and we did not have... Uh, employment, and we didn't see employment looming on the horizon, and 
just, we were, you know, we're newly married and trying, you know, all the whole things about homemaking and, and husband and wife relationships and children and living. And of course, the cooking thing is forever an anxiety for me. And, you know, and all this debt and how are we going to make it? And I, I remember Fred just said, Tara, we are going to, we are going to write down every single worry we have. And we, we just listed it out to the point where, you know, take it out of the gray. You know, you just say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling kind of worried. About what? Oh, I'm just really anxious. About what? What is it that you're worried about? And then pray. Pray. And again, I'm not trying to be like the Jesus, name it and claim it. You know, you want that Mercedes, write it down, and you will have the Mercedes. <laughs> Woohoo! You know, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, even if God provide, makes provision in your life unto death, he will be with you. Remember that Emmanuel promise? That we, we can literally say, Lord, if you would take care of every single thing on this list, that would be okay. And then we can. We don't know exactly how he will do it. But we can claim in faith and confidence with hope. Remember the assurance. Um, Lord, I know you are taking care of every single thing on this sheet. Guys, the human mind does not have the capacity to take care of everything. The human body does not have the capacity. There will never be enough money to give you peace. I used to work on high net worth estate planning. I worked with people who were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. One time, I was a part of an advisory team for a billionaire. These, listen to me. There will never be enough money to give you peace. I've been around the people who have enough money that you think, I'd like to have that problem, right? I'd like to see God. I'd, I'd show you, Tara, you're wrong. But if the craving of our heart is, is for security and money, then it is an insatiable craving. We will never have enough. You think to yourself, if I could just have blank, then I would be happy. But the, do you realize... If that blank is anything other than Christ, we will never be satisfied. We will always need more. Our clothes will not be good enough. Our jewelry, our cosmetic surgery, our theology, our our study, our graduate studies, our career. If I had tenure, you see, we just, we, it will be insatiable. We will be lusting after more and more and more and more. But if we come, we say, Lord, this is it. This is what I'm stressing out about. This is my concern. These are my needs, Lord. I know that you are God and I'm not. Now we're living from that humble position where we're saying, I am a finite creature. I cannot find my satisfaction or peace in anything or anyone other than you, Lord. Because if I do, it's going to be this constant turmoil. And I, I'm convicted even as I say this because, of course, what keeps me up at night? Why do I... Why do I get so stressed out about the wolf at the zoo, right? I, I am, you can tell, I'm prone to be a worrier. I'm prone to be anxious. But the truth is, in those moments when I take myself by the hand, I have that plan, I'm engaging in the battle, faith's fight against fear, then I believe these truths. Lord, um, if you will take care of this, Lord, I know you are taking care of this, even if it means what. Um, when I was first married, I remember I was taking a shower, and Fred was gone. I don't remember where he was. And I, I thought to myself, um, what if he is killed in a car accident? What if he never comes home? What if I never see him again? I probably been married, you know, for like a month. 
you know, when you're still at that whole just breathing in and out each other stage. And don't get me wrong, I love my husband, but you know, it's different after 17 years. And um, I was just gripped by this overwhelming anxiety. And what am I saying in that moment? Lord, if you take my husband home, I can't live. I can't bear up underneath it. I love my husband more than I love you, Lord. Or do I say, I don't know how you will make provision for me in that moment if my husband were to die, you know, without warning in some kind of cataclysmic accident or something. But I know you will make provision, God. I know you will give me grace in that moment. God doesn't promise us grace for tomorrow or grace for that hypothetical day when hypothetically my perfectly healthy child hypothetically sometime in the future gets cancer and gets sick. You see, we worry, we, we go down this little rabbit trail of anxiety and worry and concern and fear. And the truth is God does not promise us grace and peace for all the hypothetical things that might happen in our life. But whatever does actually happen, doesn't he always provide? I mean, that's what Fred and I saw with that list. And we actually made a little... Uh, we do it every Christmas. We sit down and we have it for, since we were engaged and all the 17 years of our married life, with, we sit near each other, but we don't peek, um, two pieces of paper, and we write down just a reflection on the year. Things that we were afraid of at the beginning of the year and how God provided. Or maybe he didn't provide in the way we thought. Um, we lost that baby or, you know, we didn't keep the employment and we didn't have salary and we had no way of knowing how we were going to pay our bills and there's anonymous food left. You know, you just, the Bible talks about your Ebenezer. You raise your Ebenezer, your stone of remembrance, and you say, this is God. He has provided, even if it's provision at my death, he has provided and he will provide. And then I'll tell you, as you look over it, over the years, you see more and more. I know it, um, some people will look at me and think, I'm a young person, but I feel old, right? And then I look at the young people and think, you're driving? And you're like a doctor, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, life goes really sh- quickly. Life is very short. Just know that, you know? But the more we can market, right, market, make a note of it, it will help us to do the second section. I, I called it learning to trust and rest again. First Peter 5.10 says, after we have suffered a little while, here's the thing. Suffering doesn't feel like it's only been a little while. It doesn't. And it, and it starts to wear us down. Isn't that true? Fear wears us down. We start to lose our perspective. It's kind of like, have you ever been in one of those haunted houses where it's like all tipsy-turvy and, and you walk into a room and you're like giant because they just have the perspective all off? And, and isn't that what fear does? It, it, like it knocks our feet out from underneath us, and we lose our perspective. Um, But mostly, we feel down. We feel depressed. We feel sad. We feel discouraged. We feel despondent. Um, This is why, and I mentioned already to Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, I think why it helped me so much is because he he nailed the problem. Um, One of the phrases that has stuck with me all these years is he said, My prayers became a confused mix of wandering and worrying. Have you ever had where your prayers are a confused mix of wandering and worrying? That's even our prayer. We're not in any way speaking truth to ourselves. It's just kind of this, I'm overwhelmed by... 
That's not like a tornado alarm or anything, is it? I'm very scared. <laughs> Do you have tornadoes in New Mexico? Okay, good. Typhoons, floods, bears, wolves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what that sound was, but now that we know. Um. Paul Miller says, smart men, says, defeated weariness comes just before cynicism. Defeated weariness comes just before cynicism. Some of us are feeling very disconnected from God. And I don't want to put all things on feelings and all that. But the truth is we feel really disconnected from God. We do not have that sense of abiding and that we're communing with him. And that, you know, each breath we're breathing in and breathing out. And we know he's with us and we know he loves us and he is delighting in us. Um, a lot of times that is because we've been, we've been um, worn down. The weariness of life, it is wearing us down. Our fears are wearing us down. We say, okay, the Bible says we have victory, but look at how I'm still in bondage to this habitual sin. We say, Jesus is the Lord of my life, and yet look how I'm still struggling with these same temptations. We feel fearful and frustrated. Um, What's the foundation? When we start to feel that weariness and defeatedness and, and cynicism, Right? We just start to question everything. Is there even a sincere friend on the planet? Does, does God, did God really say? Do you hear Genesis 3? It, just, it harkens right back. Did God really say he would be with us? Did God really say that he is our shepherd and he loves? I mean, did he really say this? At its foundation... Our fears and our worries and our anxieties, at, its, at their foundation, all of our fears question the active goodness of God on our behalf. This is what it boils down to. I question whether God is really good, specifically for me. And don't be afraid to make these biblical truths individual and specific. Yes, there is a covenant nature and the corporate we are saved corporately. We're not saved as lone rangers, right? And all this thing. But God is a He is a specific person. One God in three persons, but they are specific. It's not uh, you know, there are people who don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're wrong, right? Um, there's one God in three persons, and He saves individual people. He knows you. He knows your fears. He knows your delights. He knows your anxieties. He knows what makes you giggle. God knows you, and he wants to know you. He's like the Samara friend, right? He's the better. He's the friend who wants to be with you. He's the friend who wants to be around you. Some of you are shaking your heads. No, nobody wants to be around me. Listen, God, God likes you. This, you know, sometimes we think, well, God saves sinners, and that's true. But God actually likes you. You're the apple of his eye. If we begin to believe this, everything else in life begins to change. And all of these, again, lesser fears begin to be um, quieter and quieter because we believe God is actively good in our lives. Our singleness, God is actively good. Our infertility, he is actively good. The death of a spouse, the loss of a job, he's actively good on our behalf. 
And this is how we know peace. I don't know that I've ever actually cried in front of people. This is very strange. I don't even have my period. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> Sorry, Rick. <laughs> very bad. <laughs> Listen to God rather than listening to ourselves. Psalm 31, 15 says, my times are in your hands. Nobody knows the future. Jesus says, why, why are you worried about the future? No, none of your worry can, it can't even add an hour to your life, a day to your life. And here's the thing. You can worry all you want to, and you still don't know the future. <laughs> the problem is when we worry, it feels like we're accomplishing something. Worry feels like you're doing something. Making spreadsheets of spreadsheets and subcategories. I mean, it feels like you're somehow making some kind of control and order in the universe. But the truth is, we don't know the future. God alone knows the future. But here's the thing. He's good. He's good. And proclaiming that against all of these fears and worries and anxieties, this, this is a miracle. And again, it shows the world that Jesus is really alive. And that all of these truths that we profess are true. We say, my times are in your hands. This is the last uh, section, sleep in peace. God is awake. Um, Those of you who struggle with insomnia, someone along the way, if they love you, has sent you Psalm 16. It's right there in your notes. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Sometimes it's translated, I will lie down and sleep in peace, Lord, for you alone make me to dwell in safety, security, all of these things. Isn't this what we really long for? It's the Fredzel. We talked about Fredzel. But I want to tell you one story. My, my childhood was very troubled. Um, if you go through the video series or read my blog or whatever, you know, uh, my mom was, was a mentally ill addict, and my mom and I are really super close now, and I love her, and she gives me permission to talk about it, or I wouldn't do it. So, um, and my dad was a a very, an active uh, alcoholic, drunk, um, I will use the term drunkenness, very unhappy childhood and all these things. I don't have a lot, a lot, I I don't have 10 happy memories from my childhood. I bet I could count on on two hands the times that I, I felt happy or safe or secure, but I can tell you one of them. I, um, I was eight years old, and we had been on some, you know, some family outing. If I had to guess, bowling. I mean, I'm very, like, Midwestern, kind of white, trashy, like, bowling. So, but bowling is for cool, rich people, too. Don't get me wrong. Bowling's great. So, um, but it was late because my parents would keep us out. I totally remember, like, the squares on the bar floor, you know, my sister and I play hopscotch, and we eat Funyuns, which totally grosses me out, thought of it now. Or, but at any rate, um, I faked sleep in the back of the car. I was awake, but I pretended to be asleep because I wanted my dad to carry me. And you know, I completely remember it. This was 1978. Some of you were thinking, man, that was a long time ago. But it was. Um, Yes, the phones were attached to walls, and um, there were movie theaters. I don't even know with one movie theater. But 1978, and I remember it. I can still remember sitting in the back of the car and pretending to be asleep because I wanted him to 
reach back there, pick me up, and carry me to my bed and tuck me in. And I felt a little guilty about faking the sleep because I knew I was lying, but I didn't care. And I still think about that today as far as what I really want when I'm afraid. I want someone bigger and stronger than me to pick me up in his arms and take care of me. And when we look to money or a husband or a friend or pastors or church leaders, anything, health, physical health, anything at all to be that something bigger or stronger and pick us up and carry, that's when we get into trouble, right? That's when we start to be um, in bondage to worry and anxiety and fear because they might satisfy a little bit for a certain amount of time, but can they ultimately keep us safe? Not ultimately. Um, we need someone bigger and stronger than us. And there is only one, um, one option for that, and that is the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's this, not just knowledge. Guys, seriously, you do not need more information. You do not need knowledge. It's not just knowledge or information, but it is a person. He is a person, an active person. And all of history is on a trajectory of redemption. This is what we have to remember, that uh, God created the world and it was good. But now we are living in the mess. We are in the already but not yet. We are in the fallen stage of life. And thank God, I'm so grateful. Um, sometimes, you know, little kids will even say, oh, I wish I lived back when Jesus was here and we could see the miracles. And I get, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's a normal human thing. We, we think we would believe. Of course, we would be the Roman soldiers crucifying the Lord and abandoning him like Peter to the servant girl. But, you know, we think I would believe. And I like, but, but I'm so grateful to live now because we have the, we, we, the Lord has come. He's been incarnate. He has died. He's been resurrected. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. He is alive. He is, he is imminent. He is transcendent, yet he's imminent. He's with us. And we are so blessed that we have 2,000 years of church history. We get to read what these wise men and women have said through the ages. And now here we are in 2012, and we get to be the beneficiaries of all of these great resources. When has there been so many biblical helps and so much access to biblical help, especially those of us here in, in America, at least right now, right? We have a lot of freedom and a lot of resources and a lot of helps. So we get to have this um, belief. We can believe it, this trajectory of redemption. Um, if you're Narnia readers, we, Sophie's such a Narniac. She's just crazy about it. In the last battle, there's a time when Lucy says, have you noticed how you can't feel afraid even if you want to? In the last battle, she says, have you noticed you can't feel afraid even if you want to? Why? Because Aslan is on the move, right? I mean, the birds are singing and the flowers are blooming. And this, we are not going to lose, right? We are not going to lose. This, this trajectory of redemption, it cannot fail. It will not fail. And this life that we are living in right now, it is short, it is very brief. It will be over before we can even imagine. And then we will go home. And everything will be as it ought to have been. Every beautiful moment we've ever had, you know, the whole baby and sleeping on your chest, or maybe for you, you're a dancer, and, you know, just the most beautiful dancer, poet, or art, or sports, I guess. Maybe cool sports. Mr. Lin, doing this cool thing. But just these, these moments of glory that we get in this life, those little hints of what's to come, 
they will be fulfilled and everything will be as it ought to be. And, you know, I crumpled up the piece of paper, but it, it's really true. Just think about it. For years and decades and hundreds of years and thousands of years and eon upon eon, we will never be afraid. We will never be betrayed. We will never be abandoned. We will never be rejected. We will never be hungry or cold or lonely. This is it. This is our one chance to share in the suffering of our elder brother, to pick up our cross and to follow him and to bear up under the pain of even, First Peter said, unjust suffering because we're mindful of God, because we're conscious of God. Even I, in my insomnia, um, this is what calms me down, right? Beginning to breathe in these truths. And by the way, those of you who struggle with sleeplessness, as I do, um, there, isn't there, there is a difference between waking up and just going into that cycle of worry and just, you know, blah, 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 and waking up and being tempted to go into that cycle of and begin to engage in faith's fight against fear and to believe even, by the way, one thing about God. <laughs> if you could just believe one true thing about God in that moment, everything. And even if you're awake, maybe God doesn't give you physical sleep, but he can give you peace. He can give you rest, uh, even those of us who struggle. Now, um, we're going to close and move into the Q&A with my, my favorite video. And, and, and the thing I like about this video is it just teaches you to negate everything I've taught you, the whole, the whole conference. You can just ignore it all. And, and you don't need to remember it or work hard or try or, or anything like that. But I will tell you that um, we're going to do the video and then uh, Judy, Julie. Julie's coming up for the Q&A. Um, we do not sell this on the book table, so you cannot get this in any, in any book table. But um, this is my final, my final quote, unless I do something in the Q&A. C.S. Lewis says, God in the dock. Um, he translates John 16. He says, come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load, and I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me. Drink me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid. I have overcome the whole universe. I, I remember in high school, my um, Amplified Bible, Amplified Bible, isn't that 80s? It's so 80s of me. But it says, I have deprived the world of its power to ultimately harm you. I have thought of that now for 25 years. I have deprived the world of its power to ultimately harm you. You can have peace. You can have peace. Um, last thoughts about Peter. Um, so I, I totally have to close out our little uh, Peter fear specialist. Um, think about Peter. He gave us this great epistle. Was Peter faithful and stable and a great example? No. But Jesus prayed for him. Do you remember when Jesus restored Peter and he said, I prayed for you. Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. Jesus is praying for you right now. Do you think the prayers of Jesus are effectual on your behalf? Does the Father hear the Son? The Father hears the Son. Even um, some of you will only listen to this by the recording that Desert Springs is going to post because you are so bound by fear. You will not even leave your home to come to a retreat on fear. 
Isn't this true? Jesus has prayed for you, and his prayers are effective. Um, We can lie down and sleep in peace, for God um, causes us to dwell in safety. 